This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Now, a few weeks ago, we started a a series that we've called Baggage. Because we all have issues. How many of y'all know that, right? We all have our own little brand of crazy, right? Our own brand of crazy that makes sense for us, right? We all have got our own issues that we're dealing with, our own baggage that we're carrying through life. And over the last few weeks, we've dealt with the reality that when we're unwilling to check the baggage that we're carrying through life, we will inevitably carry it on. I used the example early on of talking about seeing a woman who was trying to cram a bag that was way too big into a way too small overhead compartment because she refused to check that bag. And that is really where many of us are, that we have carried baggage on throughout life because we were unwilling to check it. And so we spent the last few weeks really trying to check the baggage that could be a part of our lives. But for many of us, that's not the end of the experience. I want to go back to the verse that really is kind of the anchor for us in this series. It's 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 3 through 4. I'm going to read that for you right now and be on the screen. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Now let's just stop there. We are in the world. In other words, we're in a place that God designed, God made, But right now, there is the presence of what we see in the presence of what we don't see. And so as we read through this verse, it says then, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. That we are in the middle of a struggle That there is a conflict in our lives, whether we feel it, whether we perceive it, even if we don't see it, there is a conflict. We are at war. The Bible uses this war metaphor in multiple places. But then it says that the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they, are, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That word stronghold refers to something that has taken someone captive and it's a, a captivity that is solely based on a perception that is wrong. All right, so many of you guys play this evil trick on your dog where you put him in the kennel, but you don't close the door and he stays in the kennel, 
right, I'm not going to call any names, but I've seen some of you post that picture on Facebook a couple of times, all right? And so, so, um, and, and, and what, what, why is he in there? He's staying in because in his perception, when you put him in the kennel, every time you do, you lock the door. But this time you didn't, but he stays in anyway. All right. And that is what a stronghold is in life. It is an area that has trapped us into the wrong perception, into a lie. And so, if the problem is a lie, then the answer is always going to be the truth. And for many of us, when we encounter the truth of Jesus, all right, when, when we finally get to that point, not, not the uh, Stanley County, I've answered an altar call and walked to the front of the church before. Not that. When we finally get to the point where we have said, God, I don't care anymore. It's not my life. It's yours. When we get to that point, for most of us, it is amazing that God's work in our lives, that he comes and reconstructs us. And stuff that we used to struggle with, all of a sudden, it is not as difficult. That language we used to use, it is now gone. That addiction that we held, that is gone. And all of a sudden, we enter a new phase of freedom, but for many of us, even after that moment, there's still baggage. There's still baggage that's there. And there's bags that we carry. And it's almost as if we, we have a stronghold on that bag, but that bag has a stronghold on us. And no matter how hard we try to shake or how much we try to move away, that bag just won't let go. I'm going to read a verse out of the book of Romans. Out of all the New Testament, the truth is, is that... Um, Romans may be the epitome of the, the best presentation of Jesus in writing. Uh, Romans is this beautiful, articulate letter that's written by the Apostle Paul. And, and in, in the first part of it, he, he, he kind of goes through this process of saying, it, whether you think you're right with God or whether you don't even know God, we're all wrong. We're all lost without Jesus. And in that passage, there is this verse, and it is a verse of great angst. And it is in it to me a very hopeful verse. Read this with me as we Romans seven fifteen. The Apostle Paul. I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing that I hate. I love that the Bible has a verse like that for us. I love that the Bible doesn't say, you sinners, get it right. 
The standard is perfection. Here's the most influential person in the New Testament era church outside of Jesus saying, you know, I, I can't get it right. I can't. A person who influenced over two-thirds of the New Testament. Is saying, you know, I, I want to do the right thing, but I find that I'm not doing it. And, and I, I look at what I'm doing, and I'm doing stuff that's, that's the wrong thing. I'm sinning. And for many of us, today is going to feel a little bit like a different part of the journey. It's going to be like we're standing in the terminal after the plane has landed. Y'all ever wondered why they call where planes take off and land terminals? Does that make any sense? If you get a disease and it's terminal, that means you're going to die, Right? You're standing in the terminal. That doesn't make any sense. Every time I say terminal, I'm thinking, God, please, Lord, don't let it be that. Um, but terminal, so we're standing in, in the terminal, and we're waiting for our bags. I don't know if y'all have ever experienced this at all, but have you ever noticed that most of the bags on that little thing that come off the plane and go around, they all look alike? You ever notice that? And so, so some people who travel a lot have kind of learned this trick and they do things to make sure that they can tell it's their bag and, you know, they spray paint it or do something crazy just so it's easily identified. I had a friend who was traveling to Mexico on vacation and got his bag by himself, uh, got to his, his resort went to unpack his bag, and it was apparently a teenage girl's bag. So full of bikinis and stuff like that, right? I mean, he's just like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this stuff, you know. I mean, I, today, as we walk through this, uh, one of the first things that we need to do is really identify what is our bag. What's that bag that in your journey as you've taken the next step and the next step, that bag that just won't go away? It won't leave you alone. The bag that you know it's not supposed to be a part of the journey. You know that this is not supposed to be something that I'm doing, but I continue to do it. So in your notes, here's, Five things on how to spot your bag. First thing, it becomes a part of my identity. It becomes a part of my identity. Let me talk to you about how subtle that is. You ever, you ever heard anybody say this, you know? I can't help it. I, just, I get angry. You know, I'm Irish. That's what we do. Really? Really? That's really, You just said that. So you can't help but get angry because you're Irish, right? We know anger is a sin, and God made you to not be angry. No. Really? 
We make these things that we've carried on. I've heard guys say, you know, I know that lust is wrong, but I just like the ladies. I mean, it's just the way I am. Really? Really? How does your wife feel about that? Probably not too good. Probably not too good about that. I mean, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard people say, you know, just really, uh, my, my hobby is shopping. My, my hobby is shopping. It's, I know we don't have the money for it, and I know it's all going on a credit card, but it's what I do in my spare time. Really? Really? We make it a part of our identity. We say, this is who I am. And as we carry it, the second thing is that we begin to feel increasingly hopeless. This is who I am. It's never going to change. It's going to always be this way. And some of you, some of you have struggled with some stuff for so long that today, even when I begin to talk about it, you're already in the process of checking out on me. Because you're thinking, what are you going, I, Kevin, I got 10 sermons at home on CD about the same thing. I've listened to all of them. What are you going to say that's new? Because hope of ever walking in the journey and not having that bag toting behind you is fleeting from you. Number three, you become defensive. When people ask you about it or talk to you about it, you start to make excuses for it. Well, I was raised in a home this way, way I was taught to live. This is how my mom and dad did it. This is the way that I learned when I was a teenager. This is what I grew up in in my environment. We begin to become defensive. And oftentimes, in the process of becoming defensive, we cut people off that care enough about us to point something out in our lives that needs to change. Because I don't know if you've ever had that conversation with somebody. But that's not an easy conversation to have. And when somebody cares enough about us to have that, why is it so easy for us to check out on them? Because we become defensive. And the fourth thing that happens is you become its slave. I've heard some of you in here, as we've talked about your family history, talk about your parents and say, I saw my parents become so enslaved that the time that our family spent was wrapped around that thing. We would have to leave and get home so that my dad could do that. You become its slave. 
Let me just talk about freedom and slavery for a moment. You see, there's this illusion because we live in America, this country that has taken freedom and elevated it to the top attribute that could ever be given to anyone. This idea that we're all free. The choice is, is that we can decide who we want to be a slave to. That we can be a slave to sin or to Jesus. And number five, you begin to lose your life. That this thing that you think is so important, this thing that you have carried on, it becomes this thing that begins to rob you and take away from the quality of life that God intended for you in his plan when he made it available for us through Jesus. Look at this verse with me in Romans 6. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life. And use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you are no longer subject to the law which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. So today, I'm going to ask you just over the next few minutes a few questions. And I want you to let your guard down. I want you to stop kind of running the mental circles that we do sometimes when we get into these conversations and just listen to the, we're not going to put them, they're not in your notes, they won't be on the screen, just listen to them and answer them honestly to yourselves. Brennan Manning, a great Christian writer who wrote books like The Ragamuffin, ragamuffin gospel died a few weeks ago in the ragamuffin gospel he said this that if we are truly honest with ourselves it is impossible to be insulted it's because when someone points something out you just go I already knew that so the first question is does your Family and friends, do the people that love you tell you that you have a problem? Do the people who have the greatest sight into your life, the greatest intimacy to you, do they tell you, you have a problem with this? And remember, those conversations aren't easy. Someone Someone has the guts to actually stand up and have that conversation with you. Why is it that we check out on them? Number two, 
Do you continue to do this even when you know that it's going to hurt someone? Do you continue to do it even when you know that it's going to hurt someone? Number three, do you arrange your schedule around it? Do you arrange your schedule around it? Number four. Can you go one week without it? Can you go one week without it? Number five. Is it leading you into isolation? Is it pushing and propelling people out of your life? Is it leading and is it breaking relationships and leading you into a more isolated and isolated state? And number six, are you keeping it secret? It's something that you won't tell the people that even love you the most. That if it got out that you would be devastated and broken by that news getting out. I want you to look at this verse because this verse of scripture is just so important for us to accept and internalize when we're having this kind of conversation. Now, the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17. This, this verse says, God is spirit. Now the word spirit in scripture is literally the word pneuma out of the Greek text. Okay, So in the New Testament, when we read the word spirit, it is literally pneuma. Pneuma refers to breath. And so when the spirit is referred to, the analogy and metaphor that's painted for us is that God is a lot like the wind. I've never seen the wind, but I felt it. I've never seen it, but I've seen the effects of it. And so Paul says that the Lord is spirit, so God is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So where God has been given the reins and opportunity to blow, to have his effect on our lives, there is freedom there and it is implied that where there is not freedom, where there is a stronghold, it represents in our lives the absence of Jesus. And in a few minutes, 
I'm going to show you why that is so very important to us. Today, I'm going to give you some things that some of them, many of you have heard before. Those of us that have dealt with issues and struggled with stuff. And believe me, I say this because I use like that us language because I'm in the boat. All right, so there's stuff that when we go through those questions, I can go, I know what my bag is. Someone texted me last night, Kevin, are you ready for tomorrow? Yeah, but this one hurt. This This one hurt getting ready for this one because this has been a message that as I've walked through it personally, it's really kind of opened my eyes and revealed some things that just about me that I needed to embrace. So let's go through some simple steps to remove that bag, to drop that bag that we've been carrying, that bag that won't let go, to get rid of that bag. The first thing that we need to do is we need to can the excuses. We need to can the excuses. You need to stop making excuses for why you are the way you are. Stop blaming your heritage for getting angry. Stop blaming your parents. Stop blaming how you were raised. Stop making excuses. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable about a great king who was throwing a feast. And at this point in time, it is something that most people, as they heard this story, would recognize. They would identify with this practice of, of feasting and partying in, inside a, a kingdom for a king. This was a very regular practice. But as Jesus tells his story, he sends out invitations to the people who would typically come to his party. And this is the passage as he's explaining the way that they responded, Luke 14, 18 through 20. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come, right? <laughs> Here's the thing about all those excuses. They're all good. They're all valid. Right? They all make sense. But Jesus is telling this story, and through the parable, he's unveiling to us that God has invited us into a kingdom where he wants to bless us and to encourage us and to give us a life that is far better than we could have ever asked, dreamed, or imagined. And through this parable, right, He shows us that the people who typically get invited refuse the invitation. So he shows us that the heart of the king is to still have the party. He doesn't cancel the party. He tells his servants, go out. Find the people who will come. Go get the homeless people. 
Go get the beggars. Go pull them in. And, we'll ha- and that's exactly in this parable. And Jesus is showing us that God has invited us into the right way to live. And many of us are simply making excuses. The greatest excuse that most of you have right now is I can't do that. I can't stop. I can't not have that in my life. I can't ever get over that hurdle, that hill, that obstacle. I can't break that bond. The truth is, is that you can't. But when we start saying I can't, We start thinking that it can't happen. And I want you to look at this. Philippians 4.13. This is one of those verses that you want to memorize. You want to commit this thing to memory. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Another verse is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13 tells me I can't do everything. But through Christ, that thing that he has called me to do, that thing that's not supposed to be a part of the journey that has been that bag that won't let go, I can let go through Christ who gives me strength. The second thing that you need to do is you need to cut the ties. Cut the ties. It's true that for many of us that we need to be honest about the influences and environments that lead to us making the wrong decision. We need to be honest about who the people are in our lives that influence us in a negative way. We need to be honest about the places that we go, the environments that we get in that lead us to making the wrong decisions. Because influences and environments play a big role. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought to and just stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God. In other words, there are people who want to influence you and mislead you who just simply don't know God. And those influences in our lives can have extremely negative impacts. This is why we push you to get involved with a serve team or with a small group because we want you to build relationships with people who love Jesus and love you. Because far too many of us try to do this thing on our own. And we 
try to live life. And there are people who, honestly, they do care about you. They love you, but they don't love Jesus. And their influence on you can be extremely negative. You see, in analyzing environments and influences, we not only need to be aware of what we're doing, but we need to be aware of what we're capable of doing. Not just what we're doing, but what we're capable of doing. Here's a verse that I, I think many of us could pray on a daily basis and just ask God to do this. Psalm 139, 1 through 2. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from this distance, you know what I'm thinking. In the NIV, the verse says, search me, God. Search me. Search my heart. I mean, there's things that I'm capable of that I don't even know. I have seen godly men who loved Jesus and had phenomenal ministries in a series of just two or three bad decisions in a row completely wreck their lives. Two years ago, in the span of two months, I buried a youth pastor who in the span of three years got addicted to drugs and ended up overdosing. And he was a phenomenal man. And a young boy who accidentally committed suicide because he made two bad decisions in a row. We don't just need to know where I am and what I'm doing, but we also need to ask God, God, what am I capable of doing? You see, look at this verse out of James. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Most of us don't have a lot of problems in our heart doing that first one. But there's two things that the Bible tells us that we have to do. And it's resist the devil. To stand against the resistance. And the last thing is to fill the void. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is where I have blown it. This is where many of us have blown it because we've hit this point where God shows us you have this bag. You've carried this way too long. But I'm, I'm tired and I'm, I'm, God, I'm willing to lay it down. But we don't pick the right thing 
back up. I want you to see this verse out of Ephesians 5.18. There is a subtle principle that God establishes here that really runs its thread all throughout Scripture. And it is a profound thing for us to realize when dealing with our baggage. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine. Doesn't say anything about beer. I'm just kidding. All right. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. God shows us, all right, being drunk, sin. And if you're going to take that out, you have to put something back in because we're all made with the capacity to carry the right things through life. So if we're carrying baggage, it means that it's carrying a place that God intended for something to be there. So if I'm going to take that bag out, something has to go back in or that bag's coming right back. You see, most of us have gotten to that place where, God, I'm tired of that bag and we throw it down, but there's nothing that we put right back. And we have to replace the bag. It's a principle all throughout Scripture that God weaves for us to understand that when he takes away something, that there's something designed by God to be there. It's to there to replace that thing that has been so negative. And I'm going to tell you something that is powerful. That that thing typically is pointing to something that God intended for you to do. That there's a power that's hidden in that bag that you've never, ever released in your life. So let's go. Replacing our baggage. How do we do that? What are the steps that I need to take if I'm going to lay that bag down and pick up the stuff that God wants me to? The first thing that I need to do is ingest God's word. Ingest God's word. A few weeks ago, I told you this. Focus on the seed, not on the tree. Focus on the seed, not on the tree. Many of us have version Bible apps that have reading plans. And most of us get about two weeks behind. And what do we think? I got to make it up. I got to read 1,800 chapters today to get back on pace. Don't do that. Focus on the seed, not on the tree. If you spend 15 minutes in the Bible a day, coming to one verse that you then spend the rest of the day trying to apply, you have done something phenomenal for your life. Ten minutes. I, I encourage all of our leaders in this way, but I want to encourage you that as Christians, we need to stop being little babies and asking people to feed us that we need to learn to be self-fed. We need to ingest God's word. 
And that needs to be a part of the void that fills the place where that bag leads. The second thing that we need to do is encounter God through prayer. Just some quick advice on prayer. Many of you young believers new at this, that's cool. Most of you that are in that state, think about prayer and what you did on the ball field or what you saw in a very formal church setting. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I now call you friends. Jesus looks at us as if we're in a relationship just like our best bud. So prayer needs to be more conversational, less formal. Just think about Jesus as if he is your best friend and that you talk to him in that way. Most of us avoid prayer because we have a foundational misconception about God. That we simply don't believe that God cares about us, that he wants to be involved with us, and many of us, that God is angry at us. And I want to avoid that. Read this out of Hebrews 4 with me. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. So let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have in Jesus a God who was tempted and tried in every way just as we are. He knows what we're going through. He knows the temptations that are associated there. The third thing is that we need to embrace accountability. We need to embrace accountability. We all have issues. But who knows your issues? Who knows your deepest issues? Who's that person when you get in the wrong environment, you get in the wrong, with the wrong people that you can call and say, I need to get out of this. Can you help me? Who knows? Proverbs 28, 13 says this. Listen. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed for the prayers of a righteous man is powerful and effective. A few years ago, I had a student who was leaving to go to college. He was a great kid. He came to see me. He said, Pastor Kevin, I just 
my parents got me a computer for for Christmas, and and uh, I've I've not really used it a whole lot, but I know I'm going to use it when I go to school. And I'm I've never really struggled with porn on the internet, but can can I install something on there that would maybe like email you if I did something stupid so that at least one person would know if I blew it? Like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. You see, he, w- he was aware of what he could do, where it could go. And he wanted to create an accountability structure that was around him that helped him deal with that when something could possibly come up. So who knows your issues? Again, this is why we invest so much in small groups and why we invite you consistently to be involved in one because you need to be around people that you, being completely vulnerable, can say, I struggle with this, and they lovingly accept you, care for you, but help you navigate the tension of how to walk out of that. The last thing is that you need to invest in your eternal purpose. Invest in your eternal purpose. See, most often, when there's a bag that's hung on to us, the attack of the enemy is really trying to derail God's identity that he built into us. And so when that bag hangs on, that space that it occupies in our lives, most often, When we take that out, it requires us to look at God and to say, God, what do you, what is the purpose that's missing? I've said this before. Serve teams here, people who volunteer here. We don't do that because we need you. We don't ask people to volunteer and to get involved because we need more people to get involved. We do it because that's for you. That's for you. That's for you to have something in your life that you go, I am involved in something that is making an eternal difference right now. Because when we're willing to drop that back through the power and the mercy of God and to say, God, I don't, I know that I have blown it, that I've missed it, but I want to invite you to again focus my heart on what should go right there. Invite me into a brand new journey, and I ask you to God, encourage me, change me, mold me, and launch me forward into the kingdom to do something that I could have never imagined doing before. Let's pray. God, Today, that in the room, there's a few of us 
that have some bags that we've carried for quite a long time. And maybe before we've dropped that bag and we've maybe stopped making excuses, but maybe through our ignorance and maybe through just a lack of effort, we've never replaced it with what needs to be there. God, I want to ask that today that you would ultimately be the replacement. Because we recognize, God, that if anything is ever going to replace that and bring freedom, it has to be something that you have brought because freedom only exists where the Spirit of the Lord is. So with every head bowed, every eyes closed. Nobody, nobody's looking around, nobody getting up and moving. Let me just ask this first question. If you're here today and you say, I, I mean, I've got a lot to replace. As a matter of fact, all of it really just needs to be replaced because I haven't really made that decision. I haven't made this initial decision to say, God, you can have me. You can have me however that looks. I don't care. Take all of me. If that's you today, and you decide that today you want to replace all the baggage that you've been carrying with Jesus, would you raise your hand right now? Nobody's looking. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see those hands. Is there anybody else that would say today, I'm just ready to drop all of that baggage and replace it with Jesus? I see those. And just a more specific question, how about those of you that are in the room that say today, yeah, I've, I've had a bag. I know what my bag is, but I'm ready to drop that bag. I'm ready to let that thing go because I'm tired of it. And I want to ask God to bring to light my purpose for him and to replace that bag with my purpose. If that's you, would you raise your hand today? Amen. Awesome. Let's pray. God, thank you for those that are in the room today that would recognize that you're working in their lives. God, thank you that you can free us, that where you exist in our lives, there can be freedom. So today, God, we just want to ask that you completely blow through us, empty us out. For those of us who said today, I just, I've got my whole life's baggage. I just want to get it all rid and, and, and really embrace Jesus. For those people that are in this room today, God, just go with them in power and strength and lead them for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.